This is Smart Politics. I'm your host, Anthony Arnold. Over the last few years, we've seen a lot of anxious hand-wringing on the threats that are facing our democracy. And much of it has centered around Donald Trump. Whether you think this attention is warranted likely depends on your own political alignment, which is the main reason why the reporting and the investigations haven't had the kind of impact that people were hoping they would. But there's a larger point that I think is being missed. In any kind of democratic government, it's possible for voters to choose destruction. Voters can, if they want, elect politicians who promise to dismantle the institutions that make further choice possible. But this kind of self-sabotage, a willful rejection of the principles of democracy, is not just an option, it's always been understood as one of the primary threats that democratic governments face. Democracy can be undone by the very freedom it promises. Facing this threat, working to prevent it from further manifesting in our country, and dealing with the inherent flaws in our system require us to go back not just to our own foundation, but to principles even older than that. The discussion around democracy is thousands of years old. And while trying to make sense of it is a monumental challenge, it's one that we must be willing to try and undertake. Our own democracy may depend on it. So in this series, we're going to start by returning to the basics. What is a democracy? What makes it so good? What are its weaknesses? What lessons can we learn from the first democracies? What lessons did our founders learn? This series is going to cover a lot of territory, thousands of years of history, philosophy, human nature. Like I said, it's a monumental challenge. But maintaining a healthy democracy requires us to do more, to push ourselves, to shape ourselves into the kind of citizens that are not just willing, but capable of answering the call. If you're ready, then let's begin. When establishing a government, compromise is the name of the game. Many forms of governments have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. That was Winston Churchill. Whatever his problems, the man definitely had a way with words, but I want to really unpack that quote. What makes democracy better than all the other options? What is it about democracy that makes it imperfect? We're told repeatedly that respecting people's choices is the best way to build a government. That is the objective we should be working towards and orienting our systems around. And that's true. But the positives of democracy sit next to its drawbacks. Preserving what we have requires us to grapple with both the pros and cons. A conversation like this comes with its own challenges because interrogating democracy itself can make you sound like an anti-democratic person, which I'm very obviously not. 
However, I do believe that you can't understand something without taking it apart and examining it. At the highest level, democracies are a system. And like any system, it can be pulled apart and examined. So to begin, I want to focus on the incredible thing that defines our system. Choice. In a democracy, you have to respect whatever outcome the voters choose. It's right there in the name. The origin of the word itself can be broken down into two parts. Demos means common people and kratos means rule. So rule of the common people. You can employ mechanisms like the Electoral College, which runs voter choice through a filter in an attempt to make those choices less relevant. And you can use ranked choice voting as a way to try and more accurately determine exactly what it is that voters want. But the basic foundation of a democracy is that people choose and that choice should be respected. We too often lose sight of just how revolutionary this is. In an era where the right of people to choose their leadership is taken for granted, it's very easy to forget not just how new this is, but that it's genuinely unusual. You've no doubt heard somebody talk about the glory of ancient Egypt, the statues, the pyramids, the technology that seems so far ahead of its time and the enduring images of their greatness. They've come to represent something almost mythological. Their legacy is important to many people. And while I don't want to detract from that, I don't think we should gloss over a very simple fact. Most of us really would have hated living there. At its core, the dynasties of Egypt were theocratic monarchies. Not only were you ruled by a pharaoh, but that person was also the head of the religion. If you think that criticizing the president now is a risky proposition, then imagine doing so when they're the top dog of the state religion and a king with almost unlimited power. But I don't want to pick on just one country. The ancient founding dynasties of China, the first kings of Europe, even the Roman Republic with its outward appearance of having some democratic elements. None of these places were remotely close to being democratic in the way that we have now. The truth is that for the vast majority of human history, in most places, something that we might now consider tyranny was probably the norm. One of the first human societies that we consider advanced was ancient Sumeria in Mesopotamia. So we're talking roughly 6,000 years ago, give or take a few centuries. Democracy in ancient Greece didn't emerge until thousands of years later, and it didn't really catch on until a few hundred years ago. Just think about that. For millennia, the experience of people choosing their own leaders just wasn't a thing. It was mostly an endless run of kings, chiefs, czars, emperors, or whatever title the ruler decided to go by. But whatever they called themselves, it definitely wasn't fair, and the people they ruled definitely weren't consulted first. And it's the power of the people, the common person, that makes democracy so remarkable. For the longest sustained period in human history, many of the most powerful societies in the world are all dedicated to the basic principle that the voice of the people matters, that people have the right to choose their leaders and play an integral role in shaping the future of the country in which they live. 
I don't want to sound too romantic about the whole thing, but as a person who studies history, it can't be overstated how incredible it really is. But that power comes with risk. Because the thing that makes democracy possible is the very thing that makes it vulnerable. Because what if, according to the rules, the people choose somebody who wants to tear down democracy? What if they want a demagogue? The definition of a demagogue is a political leader who seeks support by appealing to the desires and prejudices of ordinary people rather than by using rational argument. They seek power by appealing to the lowest ideals of the populace, and frequently what they want to do with power is tear down the guardrails and convert their elected title into something a bit more permanent. Now it's true that some of what I described may sound an awful lot like a few unnamed people in politics right now. But the problem of the people potentially choosing a demagogue is bigger than one person, and it's bigger than one country. It's an issue that many democracies have had to face, and it's one that I don't think can ever be fully overcome. And that's because of the one big flaw that many democracies have. By design, democracies are slow. If you've ever had to coordinate with people for a project, then you no doubt understand that if you ask a group to make a decision, then you better be prepared to wait. The more important the choice, the longer it might take. Groups may be very good at involving everyone, but they aren't so good at coming up with answers quickly. And they're not so good at coming up with answers everyone agrees with. Democracies, especially one as large as the modern United States, dialed this problem up all the way. We're asking millions of people to give their opinions on dozens, if not hundreds of important issues, and hoping that somewhere in all of that confusion, we can find a path of action that most people not only agree with, but that's also possible to do in the first place. This process creates gridlock. Of course, it's possible to reduce the friction and make the whole thing smoother and quicker. You can streamline and cut. You can try to create a fast track when there are issues that seem particularly urgent. You can remove some things from the issue of voter choice completely and let the experts do what they believe is best away from the view of the public. But none of those solutions can ever fully solve the core issue of asking many people to come together and choose one path forward. The challenge is baked in. Demagogues exploit this weakness. Instead of red tape and waiting, they promise expediency. They are people of action, not deliberation. They promise to solve problems, not consult others. And there's real appeal in this. Anyone who's ever had the unfortunate experience of waiting in line or on the phone or in a lobby while the bureaucratic process plays out, knows exactly how frustrating this can be. A quick story. For well over a decade, I've been regularly getting phone calls from debt collectors asking for a person named Amber. Normally, it's not much of an issue. But every once in a while, they really ramp up and I end up getting call after call, sometimes up to five a day, from various phone numbers. I've tried blocking them, and I've tried answering and telling people they have the wrong number. 
but it never works. The calls always come back. It's a legitimate hassle to deal with, though, yes, a relatively minor one. At one point, I try calling the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. They're the government office that's supposed to handle stuff like this. After being disconnected once, I ended up waiting on the phone for over two hours, only to be told that there really wasn't much that could be done. I could change my number, but I've had it for over a decade now, and it's not my fault that my number is somehow connected to somebody else. That kind of frustration is the sort of thing a demagogue promises to eliminate. Their promise, which is often explicitly stated, is that if only the government would get out of your way, imagine how much better things might be. A government where millions of people have input is not only inefficient, but at times it's not even terribly effective. So the appeal of an alternative, especially one that promises to fix your problems, is always going to be powerful. And with that, I'd like to bring on my friend and guest, Francine Dash. She's going to be joining me throughout this series, lending her expertise and insight to this complex issue. She's one of the smartest people I know, and she's also a person who spent real time thinking about the problems we're facing today. Francine, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. This is an interesting show that you're starting us off with. And, you know, you're really leaning into like our understanding of what a democracy is. Like, how should we define democracy today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was, it's such like a simple place to start. It's right. very much like, like high school government. <laughs> Which everyone who just heard me say that has uh, probably turned off this podcast. I just, I just lost whatever audience made it, made and it seventeen minutes in. I have lost them now. Traumatized say, uh, rest, high, right. high school government. This is terrible. But uh, it really is like you have to start at the beginning. Right. Um, what is a democracy? And so I thought that's a very simple question, but it is one that you know setting up strengths and weaknesses will set up everything that's coming later on in the series so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you talked about the pros and cons yeah of, of this as we work through it and one of the main things that popped out at me is the some of the current conflict that we have now with our notions of resource sharing and wealth and right. uh, people paying their fair share and um th there's a lot of venom toward wealthy people however historically um, those people did, or at least people from wealthy positions played a very important part of establishing the democracy that we now know. And yeah. From. So I'm just, I'm wondering what the disconnect there, what that could be. There's this great period of revolutions, obviously, the American, the French, the Spanish, there's all the Russian, there's all these revolutions. Mm -hmm. Revolutions aren't cheap. Yeah. Oh, there's that. <laughs> so, there's that. So, you know, like the idea of like a true ground up revolution led by the people is like really rare i mean historically you have like the haitian revolution is like the only really great example of a revolution that was really led by people who were like disadvantaged and, and poor mm -hmm. uh the american founders were not poor the french revolutionaries were were not poor uh like marquis de lafayette yeah who played a part he he was in fact a marquis <laughs> that by, was a title right <laughs> that's not a name his name that's not like an abbreviation for mark 
<laughs> it's like a title. So right, right. this was a landed gentry. Mm-hmm. Like this, was, that's who he was. The people who were really mad were like adjacent to the king in France. Like I mean, you can look at the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at we just throw out some names. You just, I was just, we're just that. But like people like like Marx had always talked about how um, he thought that like this 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 first step would hopefully precede the actual ground up revolution. He was not oblivious to the fact that money had to drive the first step of a right. democracy that it was driven that it would be driven by money and it always has been because again right. revolutions are not cheap right 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 buying buying a military is not free well the and the reason why i say <laughs> that there's a lot of romanization romanticization if however the word goes around We're professionals yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, around revolutions, you hear about a lot of uh, patriotic groups, or at least they call themselves that, who are... are Sorry for my dog in the background, everybody. Yeah, this, is hearing, real, this is real life, people. This is real life recording at home. You're hearing uh, my dogs have seen somebody out the window. And we have a little dog who, like all little dogs, right. uh, just just can't just want to let people know who the boss is in this house so right 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 you can just grab them you just get them (laughs) huh there's apparently a german shepherd out front so (laughs) well there was a real cause for alarm there's a real cause for alarm my little dog has seen a bigger intimidating dog um and being behind being behind the wall is not enough yeah it's not enough um Right, right right exactly exactly but a lot, lot of, lot of stuff for democracy there. You know, little dog barking at the bigger dog, like so America timely. barking at the king. Exactly, right? so timely. What were so we, so. if not a tiny dog barking at a much bigger, more powerful dog? And that's really a, a, a really actually good point. I really, like, I really like how you ended this episode though with explaining what not only what a demagogue is, but why they become such important players in our form of democracy today. I, I really yeah. thought that was a really good point because I don't think us regular everyday people understand that it's part of a thing. It's a system. There's a, it's yep. a, it has a role. And yep. I, I'm wondering, and perhaps this will come out in future shows, if we get to see how this has played out in history and similar yeah. types of governments. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to be going how this has played out in in history we're definitely going to be covering that um but one of the theories is like every kind of government has its sort of darker opposite right uh there there are relatively okay monarchs and then there's like tyrannical monarchs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's systems of aristocracies and then there's oligarchies right And, and these are the sort of bad sides of all systems of government and through that framing democracy, you know, through that framing, a demagogue is just the dark potential that exists in a democracy. It can't, but do it, they it can't have be, to be do, Are they always dark players? I mean, do they have, are, are there any Robin Hood demagogues or demagoguery that history points to? Is it ever a positive? It's just- never a positive because how they in my opinion i don't think it's ever a positive because how they want to wield power Mm -hmm. 
is is oftentimes just anti-democratic. Yeah, like, why do people they, play into it so easily? Why do people like they want people to they want these sorts of personalities to just take over their lives? Yes. Like, what why is that? Do they do they not understand the potential danger or that it's like the opposite perhaps of what they think they want? There's like an impulse, I think. This is just me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a bit of an impulse mm-hmm. towards the, the strong man, the strong person. I, I think there's sort of a, a magnetic draw. Um, because especially in a democracy, there's there's a high burden placed upon citizens in a democracy. And frankly, it's just easier to offload that burden to somebody else and go look. So maybe we're just all tired. And maybe we want someone, I mean, you know, yeah. right? we don't want to vote anymore. We don't want to be made to feel guilty about voting. Let's you just do it. And then when we get tired of you, then we'll burn right. down your castle. Is that what we Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, democracy requires never ending. It is a cycle that plays itself out all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something we talked about on this show before. Right. We have federal elections every two years. I mean, every two years, people have to refresh. They got to refresh the mm-hmm. whole thing all over again. Right, and then at right. four years, you choose a new big leader. So every mm-hmm. four years, you just, you just, you repeat the cycle. Now, like, look at what just happened with uh, Queen Elizabeth. Had right, she been right. in charge, like really in charge, I mean, they hadn't had to have a new monarch what was it like 60 years 70 years it's been a long time yes so the cycle of like choosing a monarch hadn't hadn't happened since like 1940 or something Mm -hmm. but in democracy we do that every four years and that's tiring like it Mm -hmm. is exhausting to always be on. But they do have a parliamentary system and they do have their their monarchy is yes. of a representative of the people, and not necessarily running the country in the same way. The recent the recent uh, run of prime ministers would suggest <laughs> they too are struggling because they, they have not had a prime minister retire well since like Tony Blair, probably. Yeah. And even he was. Well, get there was shaky some on his Tony. way out the door. Yeah, I, I think it was time for Tony. And yeah, but it. since I, then, I mean, they haven't had a prime minister leave well since then. There aren't a lot of democracies doing great with this at the current moment. Now, people talk about the life cycles of democracies. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And 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 for a lot of these very reasons that you bring up or that you brought up just during our discussion. And that they have a a natural life expectancy. The further people get away from the the fight for democracy, the less attractive democracy becomes. So here we are. Uh, Democracy is no longer uh, the girl or guy she used, she or he used to be. (laughs) Yep, we're out the honeymoon phase. We're past the honeymoon phase. And now we we realize it requires a lot of work. is, Is it... Is it that the work is really that hard or is it the narrative around the work to keep the democracy going that effective? I mean, I think the work is hard, but look, something you're getting at that we're going to cover in later episodes, like I think the next episode, we're going to cover some of the old Greek philosophy stuff. And whether we buy his theory or not, uh, Socrates had a theory that democracies eventually slide into tyranny. 
he had a theory that basically all governments slide from one form to the next and that they eventually all topple over into into tyranny over a long enough period of time now we can reject his theory but his underlying reasoning wasn't bad and we're going to cover you know we're going to cover some of what he said much of what he said in the very next episode so like mm-hmm. that's something that i'm excited to dig into you know mm-hmm. but so that was his theory sort of what you're missing was that over time democracy slide and it that all governments slide that they are essentially undone by the weaknesses in their system and then people want to try something else and then that whole larger process of well, we try something else and then it gets undone and then we try something else and, and that this just plays out over time until you get a tyrant who basically craters the entire thing and uh he was not clear on where you go after the tyrant i think i think the idea is you you stop existing as a country after the tyrant <laughs> after tyranny is actual well, and it plays against <laughs> the human need, as weird as it seems with the tyrannical part, the human need to be in some form of community. It, right. It, it kind of, that's the part. And and so I'm looking forward to that discussion. And I really appreciate you coming out of the gate so strongly with this. I'm looking forward to uh, what you're going to do next. Good. Uh, I am as well. So with that, thank you for joining me, Francine. Uh and as always, for for those of you who have made it to the very end and who have survived both my dog twice <laughs> and me referencing high school government, a real sorry, about real that. a real bad <laughs> idea. I'm very sorry, but if you've made it this far, uh, I do want to encourage you to continue the discussion on our social media pages uh, on Facebook or Instagram. Like all of our shows here, this podcast is brought to you in part by Eliag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and Pointcast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit our website at pointcast.news or subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure you join us next time.